Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Yes. Good morning. I have my tea here. I have my lozenges here. Because you know what? I was losing my voice the first service. Crazy. I was telling Pastor Barry I should have called him yesterday when I wasn't feeling good and said, your turn. And he said he would have done it too. Well, this week I was, uh, I called our friend who attends here, Dan Eagle, who they're, they're down south right now. And he says, hey, um, when are you speaking next? I said, Dan, I'm speaking this coming week. But I'm not sure. I feel a little bit nervous about it. And he says, well... What I do, and what he did was a lot of public speaking from his, uh, his company, and he would do, uh, he was in the grocery industry and doing a lot of sales. He says, Robin, whenever I looked out at a crowd, I just, rem- I just, I just thought of them as if they were all in their underwear, right? I'm like, Dan, I can't do that. I mean, this is church. <clears throat> and I said, Dan, what if they don't like what I'm going to say on Sunday morning? He says, well... Just tell them, encourage them to write an email to Pastor Barry and put on the headline uh, regarding Pastor Finney's sermon. <laughs> I said, Dan, what should I say, though? Because Pastor Barry's given me this text. And you know what Dan did, and this is the true part of the story, is he spent some time just going through the passage and allowing the Lord to speak to him. And, and he sent me his notes, which was very special. He actually came up with an acronym of what he felt was coming. The acronym was, was Courage, Hearts, Real, Intimate, Strength, and Thanks. Modeling the life of Paul out of this passage that we're going to get to. And, of course, that acronym is Christ. So that was just very special. And, and truly, whenever we're in the word of God like that, he, he wants to speak. So I encourage you to do that. Well, before we get going, I wanted to share with you, and Justice is going to put on his thing. I got to tell you, this might be a very short sermon today, (laughs) but if I drink some tea and whatnot, then just know I'm struggling a little bit. But we went and we served Nourishing Network, and Nourishing Network is um, an organization that helps to feed the hungry kids in the Edmond School District. There's hundreds of them. And we packed, and you can show them this next slide, Justice. Uh, this was just the guys, by the way, and uh, the girls couldn't join us because they were busy um, with, with school plays and with some dance stuff. So the guys joined in, and as you can see, there's apples and snacks, and then there's, uh, there's, there's milk, two, two milks they got, there's soups and rice and meat, uh, canned meat, and, uh, and it makes a difference. We heard um, a story from, from Deb Anderson, who runs it, but she said that one of the bus drivers let them know that on one Friday afternoon, a, a young girl was looking under, the, scrounging underneath the, uh, the benches in the bus looking for an apple that rolled her away or a half-eaten sandwich because there just wasn't any food in that home. And this is what they do, the Nourishing Network. And every Tuesday, they gather volunteers to come and do this. And we did over 300 uh, of these meals that they give every week. It, it means something, doesn't it? And, and serving 
is really leadership, and we're going to talk about that. Henry, thank you for playing up here as well, and, and those of you who are involved here and, and other places, because uh, serving is very close to the heart of Jesus. In fact, when we were standing around just before, we um, was reminded of that verse that Jesus spoke. He says, when you've, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was sick, I was naked, I was in prison. Did you or didn't you serve me? And to those he did, that did, he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your rest. And I want to encourage each of you to, to continue to find a place to serve. And I know you do that. We've heard that so many of you do that. But it's just a good reminder that um, serving uh, is really close to the heart of God, especially to the least of these. This morning, we're going to take a look at the second chapter of the book of First Thessalonians, the second chapter of Thessalonians. We have the opportunity to enter into the life of, of a tremendous servant and one who, who modeled the way. And we're going to talk about that this morning. When we talk about the word leadership, and many of you have led in your businesses and in your uh, industries and, and in your organizations and even in your home, there's a lot of words that may come to mind, right? Uh, we heard servant, um, um, example. What's another one? that you could think of, another word that leadership may be synonymous with. Mentor. Mentor. Good one. Humble. Oh, good. Humble. Humble. Humble leadership. That, that's important. Yeah. And there's other words. Guidance, encouragement, direction, uh, captaincy is a word. Um, the leadership... Uh, takes uh, a few different looks, and I have a couple of funny pictures here of what leadership might look like that you may have experienced, but here's one that says, leadership, you can lead by example, or you can hold the job a lot longer by using the subtle nudge technique on the guy next to you when no one's looking. Maybe some of you have been in that kind of deal um, before. And how about this one, school of fish, and it says, one day they'll realize I have no idea where I'm going. And maybe some of you have uh, done that kind of leadership too. Fake it till you make it. That's, that's what I do often. <laughs> when I looked up leadership in uh, Amazon books, just in that title, the word leadership for titles of books, 60,000 books on leadership. And some of you have read some of these books. Maybe you've read a Simon Sinek book or John Maxwell I actually have a signed John Maxwell book that I found at Value Village, but it's pretty good nonetheless. <laughs> Brene Brown, Stephen Covey, many others. If Paul was writing a letter on leadership to the church in America, what do you think it would say? I think maybe he would say, stay out of the headlines, Right? Because so often the church has been in the headlines for the wrong reason. And it doesn't matter how much good we do, those headlines just kind of ruin it for the rest of us when we see those things. And we're not this morning going to do that and go through some of those headlines and, and uh, take a look at those. But you've read them, the embarrassing headlines that kind of 
uh, staying the good news of Jesus. Um, and as a result, we've heard some people say, you know, there's not much difference between those Christians and everybody else, so what, why should I even bother? Or like Gandhi, Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ because Jesus really proved it by the way he lived his life. I was telling, um, I was telling uh, the group this morning that what the world desperately needs are men and women and young people who will model the way, who will model the way. And that's exactly what Paul and the early Christians did in their communities. And we could sum up this chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with the following, passion for the gospel and love for the people. I was mentioning that, uh, that the sermon might be a little short because I'm losing my voice. So I told, I told our friend back there, Kevin, I said, if I lose my voice, just put on a good old Billy Graham message and I'll pretend... That'd be good. Huh? Everyone would get saved here. I know. Again, it'd be good. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to walk through this together. And there is a Bible in your pews, but wouldn't you know I put it up for you as well. Pews. They're not pews, they're chairs. It says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So what happened? What's he talking about there? Because sometimes we read the New Testament in chunks like this, and we're going through this book and this book and this book. But sometimes it's a good idea to take the book of Acts which is the narrative for the letters that Paul wrote. And Paul's referring back to Acts chapter 16 and 17. So when you get a chance, take a look at that. But I'll quickly summarize it for you. Uh, Pastor Barry mentioned last week the Macedonian call, which was uh, Paul and uh, Silas were going somewhere else, but instead they received a vision, an audible vision uh, that they could see and hear, that, no, come to Macedonia, we need your help. So they went to Macedonia, which as we heard last week, is in the Greece area today. So as they go to Philippi, which was the first place, and we we see it right here, that are coming to you, um, we'd been shamefully treated at Philippi. What happened there? Well, the first thing is, as Pastor Barry mentioned, that Paul would go and preach in the synagogues. And and on one Saturday, it says that, that the heart of one of the ladies who was listening, the Lord opened up her heart to what Paul was saying, and she believed and was baptized. That was Lydia. And so she said to Paul, hey, you guys just stay here a little longer because we want to hear more of what, what you have to say. Well, right after that is the story of where they're going to the place of prayer. And on the way a young girl begins to cry out. These men are servants of the Most High. She was a fortune teller, and she was prophesying through demonic uh, involvement that these men are servants of the Most High who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Could you imagine hearing that? It says here that Paul was getting frustrated by it and said to this one 
It says, said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out. And the demon left. Now, we don't get to see that very much, do we, in, in, in Seattle area? Not that it's not there, but I think often we medicate things that we don't understand. I remember going through uh, Eastern State Hospital when we lived over in the Spokane area, and it was full of all sorts of people who believed they were from times past. Some believed that they were rulers or a Hitler or a Napoleon and, and others Jesus. And it was very difficult to watch. And I talked with one of our church members who was there, and I said, how much of you think is, is demonic, and how much is just because the mind has broken because of, of, of drug use and things? He says, Robin, I, I got to tell you, I think so much of it's spiritual as well. And I just wish I, 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 I could walk down those hallways and say, in the name of Jesus, And I think we can and should. We should pray. But in this case, um, he said in the name of Jesus and the demon left. Now, we took a short-term mission trip a couple years ago to India. And I'm trying to see which ones of you might have gone. But in the little village church, and I've told this before, during the time of worship, one lady began to manifest the, the local deity that was being worshipped in that area, which was a dog demon, Day, and she started to act out just like that. And the local pastor did just what Paul did in the name of Jesus, come out, and the woman was delivered. Well, in India, as you know, that deliverance can cause a whole family to come to Jesus. And that's what we see here. But in this case, it says when the owners who were pimping her out, taking advantage of her abilities to fortune tell, saw what was going on. They created a riot, and they began to say, these men are disturbing our city. And if you remember the story, they grabbed them, take them, beat them with rods, throw them into prison. And it's this story that at midnight, they begin to worship and pray. Remember that? And what happened? A big earthquake, right? big earthquake comes, and the walls are shaken. All the prisoners had the ability to leave, but Paul cries out, don't harm yourself because the jailer would have killed himself because he was liable if anyone escaped. And Paul says, no, we're all here. And the response of the Philippian jailer was, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I heard you singing. I heard the message come through your prayers. I need what you have. And it says, and Paul said, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. And immediately they were baptized and they were taken care of. And that's the story that we read here. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, the next stop was Thessalonica. Right away they went there. And as they got there, the same thing. Paul went and began to preach in the synagogues. And it says he preached for three Sabbaths. That's it. And in three Sabbaths, it said, it says that many people came to know Jesus during those three weeks. But as you know, again, a lot of people didn't like it. They tried to get a riot going on. They run to a guy home named Jason. Jason says, get out of here. The people come to Jason's place to figure out what's going on. Where's Paul and Silas? And they were already long gone. But that's a story that we see here. They preached with boldness 
for three weeks and a church was established. They say that 1 Thessalonians was the first letter that Paul wrote in his letters coming back to these people because he loved the gospel so much and he loved the people so much. A church was established in three weeks. That's pretty good. But sometimes bringing the good news you can't measure in a few weeks or a few months. It it might take years. William Carey, he went to India, and before he received his first convert, he was there for seven years. That's a long time, seven years. But before he died, 700 new believers pointed to William Carey and said, you introduced Jesus to me. Adoniram Judson in Burma, which is now Myanmar, he went and he waited for six years for his first converts. But sometimes after, sometime after his death, the government surveyed the population and found out that over 210,000 people had come to faith, one out of every 58 Burmans. I have a picture of a young lady here that was taken quite a while ago. From a, this is from a newspaper clipping on the right. Her name was Eva Nickel. She received her own Macedonian call. But it wasn't a vision or an audible voice. It was a phone call from a pastor, a missionary up in the Northwest Territory saying, Eva, could you come and help? Help with the work of bringing the gospel into the native people in northern Canada with the good news. The tribes were the, are the Inuit, the Cree, the Chippewan, and others. We need your help. Just give us six months. Just six months. So she took the bus as far as it would go, and at the end of the line was the town of Hay River. She started hosting Bible studies in her home and ran the Hudson Bay Company post office. The manager of the Hudson Bay Company, Jim, had a fiancé who started to attend the Bible studies, and soon... Cindy gave her life to the Lord, and so did Jim. God gave Eva an idea to play the preaching messages that she was able to acquire in the local native languages, which she couldn't speak. And she would give them for them to listen to, and then she would ask, what did they say? And as they replied what they had heard, the gospel message was getting into their hearts, and she saw one after one, come to know Jesus. But working as a missionary in the north is very difficult. It's very cold. In the winter, the the nights are very long. She said, one time I was traveling with missionaries to talk about the north, and the missionaries were from other places, and they gave glowing reports from South America or Mexico or, or, or Africa, and the many groups of people who would flood the altars and give their lives to Christ in healings and hundreds coming to the Lord in their various fields around the world. But what could she say? She felt like there was only a few, one here, one there, that were giving their life to Jesus. One day as she drove down the road, the dirt roads there, she cried out, oh God, can I be done? I'm done. And the Lord showed her that the people of the north, like many other Native American 
groups around our nation had been badly beaten and bruised. And ministering amongst them would have to be like picking special fruit one at a time, handled with great care, as they were very precious people in need of deep healing. It wouldn't be a vast harvest like we saw in other parts of the world, and that changed her whole perspective as a missionary. This was a special ministry. It was her ministry and not to be compared with others. And, you know, we can compare the impact of our life with what we see on the stage or this ministry or that ministry, but God wants you to know that whatever you do is not in vain. It makes a difference. Your hospitality, you opening up your door, you taking some cookies over to your new neighbors who may not have the same skin color, it makes a difference. In fact, I just heard a story similar to that. Al Fadi, his name is. He was born in Saudi Arabia. He was part of a very devout Muslim family. He believed that Islam was the only true religion and those who didn't accept Allah as God or Muhammad as his prophet, his messenger, they were doomed to hell. He had nothing but contempt for Christianity because that's what he was taught. He believed that all non-Muslims were infidels. By the age of 12, he memorized half of the Quran. By the age of 15, he was ready to give his life in jihad because when you do, you are guaranteed way into heaven and all your sins forgiven. Because as you know, a Muslim, when they stand before God on judgment day, they don't know if they're going to be let in except in jihad. He finished his degree in Saudi Arabia, but he wanted to get his graduate degree, and he knew the best place to come was in America. But the problem was America meant Christian. Yet that's where his education would lead him, and with great anxiety, he, he came to a university over here, and he got into the dorms, and it wasn't too long before he heard about something called the International Friendship Program, which paired students with local volunteers that welcomed them into their homes, shared culture, and their family, and welcomed them. So he signed up not knowing it was a Christian organization. For seven months, this young family showed him the love that far exceeded his expectations. It was a love that he never experienced among his Muslim fellows back in Saudi Arabia. Then he was invited over for Thanksgiving, and his heart sank as the father said, do you mind if we pray? But he realized for the first time that Christians are actually filled with love and not hate. Al-Fadi said, this family never shared the gospel overtly with me. But they had shown what the gospel looks like. This was the beginning of his journey towards Jesus. And just a few years later, through other contacts, he became a follower of Jesus. And today he has an international ministry which shares with Muslims how to find Christ. And he heads up his own local chapter of the international Fellowship 
program, which some of you have done here locally as well. Many of you have been involved in programs like that or tutoring, mentoring, coaching, volunteering, like with this program or Hand in Hand or so many others we've heard. Thank you. Your service is not in vain. It makes a difference. For some of us, we can see the results, and for others, we may need to wait a while, like even Nickel had to. But a Christian's walk, the way we live our lives, is a Christian life. And the impetus of that Christian life it's, it's that force that moves us along. It's what Paul said. It's the love of Christ that we've all experienced that causes us to live differently. Paul goes on in the next verses to model Christian leadership in a tremendous way. And I've underlined some key words for you to look at here. For our love, verse 3, for our love does not spring, justice take us to that next level, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, I know that each one of us could put in a box Christian leadership as we know it, and we're going to see some of this very stuff, deception, impurity, or error. But let's move away from that and live our, lean our lives into what it should look like. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you've become very dear for us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to you. Do you have the next slide, Justice? There it is. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. Believers. There it is. For you know how, like a father with his children, we are exhorted, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. And I don't know if you caught all of those things that were underlined, but just take a look at his leadership with me, and I'll just share them with you. Are you ready? Here they are. This is what his life looked like. He was purposeful, right? Not in vain. How many of us are living our lives purposefully for him? Think about today and tomorrow. How are you going to live your life on purpose because it's not in vain? Bold was number two, bold. He was bold. He preached the gospel. He had pure motives, pure motives. In Africa, I've been to some churches where it's not always pure motives. I remember seeing a beautiful um, 
Hummer vehicle. The, the, the best one I saw, the only one I ever saw in Uganda, I said, who is, is, is that? That must be some important person. He goes, oh, that's a pastor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Does that reflect his congregation? Uh, not at all. He's raping his people of their resources and promising them before they get home they'll have a chicken if they give the tithe and the offering. But you know, it's just not Africa, is it? It's other pastors and other places who have taken advantage of the good news of the gospel. No flattery, no greed, pleasing God, no arrogance, gentle, affectionate, laboring night and day, backed by holy living. What an example of leadership we just saw. As we talked about leadership books just a little while ago, one popular leadership book that came out quite a few years ago was called The Leadership Challenge. I don't know if you, any of you have read that book, but it was, uh, it was compiled with the, um, with the interviews of thousands of leaders across America. And as they compiled, uh, the one question was, what did you do when you were at your personal best as a leader? Thousands of interviews Hundreds of thousands of surveys were done for this. And as I looked at the results, I said, goodness gracious, they could have just opened up First Thessalonians and taken a look at the life of Paul, and I'll share them with you right here. Number one, model the way. This is from the book. Model the way. Leaders create standards of excellence and then set an example for others to follow. Leaders inspire a sh- a shared vision. They, leaders passionately believe they can make a difference. Number three was chal- they challenge the process. Leaders search for the opportunities to change the status quo. Number four, they enable others to act. They strengthen others, making each person feel capable and powerful. They encourage the heart. They make people feel like heroes. That's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did, of course, because Paul bottled his life after Jesus. It took thousands of interviews to come up with that conclusion. We could have done that. Had a bestseller. But let's just overlay some passages over that of Paul's life, and let's look at it together. Model the way. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 I picked for you, which, which says, follow me as I follow Christ. How many of you can say that today to others in your family maybe not through words but in action follow me as I follow Christ I'm setting the example I'm modeling the way you can and you should and all you need to do is say Father would you help me model the way today They lived out their, the early Christians, they lived out their devotion to Christ for all to see. They lived different from the rest of society around them. The new morality they began to live caused wonder among the people. We are called to live out as Christians. The life that we live out will be far different from the ethics of the world. We need to model the way, and we have a way to follow. Number two, inspire to share vision. The verse I picked for you was 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 
and 15, which says, the love of Christ compels me. That's the shared vision that we all have. We've all been saved or we're on our way to becoming more like Jesus, right? We have together a common language that Jesus has saved us from our sins. It's our shared vision with which we are inspired with. The early church spoke of Jesus and what he had done for them. Hey, I get it. Sometimes we take the four spiritual laws to people that we think we're, we want to share the good news with, and it's like taking a huge one million watt um, candle lamp and shining it in their eyes, and they can't handle it. It's too bright. The good news is too bright. But sharing your story, it's like a candle that they can warm up to because your story is you. It's real. They'll listen to your story. When we're able to articulate God's goodness in our lives, people will listen. Our stories of God's goodness is attractive, even in the ups and especially in the downs. Number three, challenge the process. The verse I picked for you was, when I came to you, I wasn't like the other guys. I didn't come with eloquent speech or human wisdom, but I came in a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Wasn't like the other philosophers of his day. In those days, when people started becoming followers of Jesus, it was a hodgepodge. They were coming out of all sorts of cultures. It was a multi-ethnic, diverse community, opposite of what the Jewish people were, specifically. Because you know they thought, if we separate ourselves and we stay separated, others can notice us and want what we got. So that didn't work too well. They become quite stuck up in there feeling special. And God broke that open and said, go into all the world and preach this good news. But as Christianity spread through mission trips and gospel preaching, people from every race and culture would come together, which led to a multi-ethnic and diverse church. The early church was multi-ethnic. Secondly, the, the early church had a new sexual ethic. Our society is running away from biblical sexual ethics into a Roman world sexual ethics where anything goes. But the early believers ran out of that temple prostitution, which led to these babies being born that were not wanted. They ran out of that into a biblical one. They learned to respect woman, to cherish marriage, rather than make a mockery out of the institution. Marriage between one man and one woman that we find all the way back from Genesis became the pattern, and they reserved their sexual experiences for inside the covenantal union. The society around them took note. That's different. And yet here we find ourselves in this day in the same environment. Women were given honor and equality. The attitude the early church had towards women did not exist anywhere else. Women were more of a property. Marriages were a sham. Men ran amok, did whatever they wanted to, but the believers in the early church behaved differently. And children were honored. 
Pastor Barry has mentioned before that infanticide was common in those days. Of course, the temple prostitution created a lot of that. It is, as he has mentioned before, that the early Christians would go to those garbage heaps and rescue those babies and care for them as they were their own. In our abortion culture, this attitude is not difficult to imagine. But believers in that day began treating children differently. Christ honored children. And so did his early followers. Number four, enable others to act. You see there the verses Philippians 4, 9, which is what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Let's do it. And the God of peace will be with you. They had a new work ethic. Rather than live to acquire wealth, believers began to work with the goal of bringing honor to God. They wanted their work to reflect well on God. And they started to see their work as a way of worshiping him. And it's one of the things we teach when we take entrepreneurship overseas, that God created you to be creative, to be the solution to poverty in your community, not the UN, not the World Bank, but you, especially those of you in the church. And we teach them how to start their own businesses. And then we get pictures back of them standing in a field of cabbages that will earn them more income than they've ever received because they were inspired and enabled to act and to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Number five, encourage the heart. The verse for this is Thessalonians 2.12, which we just read. We exhort each of you and encourage you, walk in a manner worthy of God. We encourage you. They loved one another. Followers of Christ, like Jesus, are different than our culture. The early church did not fit into the existing categories. The outside community, they didn't know what to do with them, so they called them the followers of the way. It's the same words that Jesus used, I am the way, the truth and the life. They became known as followers of the way because they did what Jesus did. That word Christian was imposed on them because they were Christ-like. They didn't call themselves Christian. These new believers believed Jesus, and they were in a journey with him. As we close, I have a photo here. About a month ago, my mom reached out to me and she says, have you heard of David Cameron? I'm like, nope, never heard of the guy. She goes, well, he's, he's a principal of a Christian school in the area. She says, his mom was Cindy and his father was Jim. They were in the Northwest Territories when your Aunt Eva was a missionary. Just a few weeks later, like... I was at a school event, and I saw David across the room. And I ran up to David, and I said, David, we're related. And he didn't know who I was. He says, well, how so? I said, Eva Nickel. And he goes, oh, Eva Nickel, she's a legend. He said, if it wasn't for Eva, my family would never have found Jesus. I'm here today because of your Aunt Eva. 
Friends, what we do for Jesus is not in vain. As the worship team comes on up, I just want to reflect with these things. Would you pray this morning that you would be one that would model the way? That you would inspire a shared vision and that you would challenge the process of the culture around us, that you would encourage others to act and that you would encourage the heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of Paul, which really was your example. When he said, follow me as I follow Christ, he was pointing to you. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of of our faith. And I pray for each one of us that we would recommit again to living our lives on purpose, that we would not live it in vain, but recognize that everything we do can be to the praise of your glory. We love you and we thank you. And just before we close, would you stand with me as we close? Noreen and Judy will be here to to pray. If you want to either um, recommit your life to Christ because you're just in a place where it's time to re-up. Or if you're in a place where you're like, God, I don't want to live my life in vain. Then there's prayer for you here today. Bless you.